0: Today, we're talking to Dennis Barron about an article that he wrote in May 2020 titled Forced Vaccines and Digital IDs. In this 14-month-old article, Dennis warned that COVID-19 would soon serve as the perfect excuse to push mandatory vaccinations. The goal of forced vaccination would be the deep state's ultimate agenda, universal digital IDs, a plot that Dennis writes has been in the works for at least a decade. Digital IDs would essentially result in a database that would allow the tracking and control of the world population. I'm Paul Dragu, and this is Freedom is the Cure. By May of 2020, COVID mania had kicked into high gear. Millions of people were staying home and binge watching Tiger King while waiting for their government checks to come in. Public schools were shut down and teachers were trying to hold the attention of 10 year olds through a computer screen. Restaurants were relegated to drive through or pick up only status and other businesses, including some restaurants simply shut down. Many of them for good. At the time, governments all across the country were successfully suckering people into house arrest and the idea that they had the authority to make them wear dust masks and bandanas on their face. And many believed them. But not all were fooled. In response to the lockdowns and the government's pretend face mask orders, anti-lockdown protests were kicking up all across the country. This was before the George Floyd protests, before Americans realized that it was okay for mass leftists to gather and scream and assault and burn down cities, but not okay for a much smaller group of maskless conservatives to hold up signs and peacefully protest the stupid and anti-freedom government rules. By then, the media had unilaterally established the COVID infection and death ticker as well, which persists to this day. Even those with the feeblest connection in society could not escape the daily uptick of Rona cases and related deaths. But one storyline that was not part of the mainstream narrative during those early stages of COVID mania was mandatory vaccines. At the time, talk was more about how it would take years to develop effective vaccines and how our focus should have been on slowing the spread. By this point, we were all well past the mythical two weeks that we needed to isolate together to flatten the curve. The message was stay home, wait for your government check to arrive, and if you're foolish or disobedient enough to leave the house for the love of God, put on your tissue mask or you will die. But meanwhile, Dennis Barron, a researcher and the publisher of the New American News Magazine had written an article in the May 18, 2020 issue warning that we hadn't seen nothing yet. Uncreatively, yet appropriately titled, Force Vaccines and Digital IDs, the article starts out this way. Here's what they're planning. A national health ID. The crux of the article is that for the last decade, major component agencies of the international deep state have been working to design an all-encompassing digital ID system that would allow them to track and control everyone in the world. To do this, they would try to tie vaccination to identification. The first step in this grand ID scheme was to condition people to accept the idea that they will need to prove their vaccination and health status before being allowed to participate in society. Dennis
1: is here with me today. Hey, Dennis. Hi, Paul. Thanks for that really great introduction. I appreciate it.
0: So Dennis, we're obviously right in the, the heart of that first stage you talk about. Uh, for weeks now, we have seen an aggressive push for forced vaccinations, and it seems like it's only gonna intensify. Uh, the government just mandated VA workers to be vaccinated. I think there's probably it seems like uh, there's indication that it'll be a push for more federal workers. Colleges have already done it uh, for months on now. We've reported on that, and companies across the nation are also coming up and making their va- uh, making their employees get vaccinated. Uh, perhaps more important is that it seems that we're seeing support for this. I don't I don't know the numbers, and we had talked off. Off, off mic about this, but there seems to be quite a few people who support this. What do you, what do you think? Are you seeing that?
1: Well, you know, something uh, was a bit alarming uh, really already a year ago, not too long after we published the article that you referenced for the New American Magazine. And that was what I grew to be convinced was really a test of compliance. And that was the idea that um, we could force people or convince people through fear mongering uh, and propaganda to where ineffective masks to thwart the virus the masks you know were never going to be effective in the way they were utilized uh, you can utilize a mask as a control against an environmental hazard Uh, But you need to wear the proper mask when you're trying to control access to an environmental hazard or prevent access to that environmental hazard. Uh, If you go into industry, for instance, and you're looking at uh, masks in particular industries where you may be exposed to fine elements of dust or minerals, uh, various types of gases, you are going to have to have the exactly appropriate type of mask for that situation, learn how to use it. And be fit tested for it, and you know you you got to guard against self contamination when you take that mask off. Now, no one was trained on that. No one, no one in the general population was given that information. Uh, people were told you could just go ahead and wear a bandana around your mouth and nose, and that would uh, suffice. That would not suffice. That wasn't going to protect anyone. That was uh, that that was a red herring all the way around. And people bought into that uh, to such a degree that we were having. And we, and if you look back and think about it, you'll 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 notice in the news there were vicious encounters between people who are wearing masks and people who are not wearing masks that devolved into violence uh, within grocery stores and convenience stores and in various other places. Yeah. And this became part of a full-fledged uh, propaganda fear campaign to ensure compliance. You can only you can only assume that it was to ensure compliance because it wasn't effective against any kind of virus. So what was the objective? I think it was compliance, and uh, compliance uh, with masks would be a good proxy for understanding what level of compliance you might get with future controls that you might use. Uh, And of course, those future controls are relevant for the vaccination program, if you want to try to scare everyone into getting a vaccine or move people toward the direction of accepting uh, a mandatory vaccine to head off a propagandized Armageddon uh, via a virus or something else and you know that alone wasn't even sufficient in terms of what the plan was because if we go back uh, to 2010 and this is what i did in the article uh, you know we went back and took a look at the history of the idea of melding health information with a digital id uh, we can find out that at the international level both from non-governmental organizations and uh, international governmental bodies such as the world health organization and the united nations working in concert with the N- uh, non-governmental Before organizations we move
0: there, like let's go back to the, the yeah. conditioning aspect um we, you know we still see some people today with masks even in yeah. areas like i live in an area where i don't even think we keep count anymore the the infection rate is so it's not even worth keeping count with and whatnot but we still see people uh wearing masks not only that you still see the occasional person wearing a mask in their car by themselves walking is that is that that seems to be an obvious clue that uh that the conditioning, at least in those cases, has worked
1: it does it has people are afraid (laughs) virus is the is one of the greatest things to make people afraid of because you can't see it yeah it's it's this miasma that suffuses the atmosphere around you and it's going to sneak up and and get you when you least expect it and you have no defense and people are afraid of this and they're they're encountering this propaganda saying they should be afraid of it right here's this talisman that you can wear and it's going to magically ward off this virus and well of course you know Anyone who looks at the science is going to be able to say, well, no, that's not the case. But the average person who shouldn't be expected to have to go back and study uh, biology in, in, in great degree or chemistry in great degree to know what, to he- what the heck to do with regard to a situation with a pandemic wants to trust the authorities and wants, wants to believe what the authorities are telling them. And uh, so they did, and they've grew, grew, grew increasingly afraid, and it's a very crass manipulation, in my opinion of the society at large.
0: Gosh, I hope you're wrong. Like <laughs> I hope you're wrong, but here you are, 14 months ago, you know, when, when this wasn't even a topic, and you're saying this is where it's going. But ultimately, as you were getting to, the goal is universal digital IDs. Yeah. How did you come to this? You did quite a bit of research, you know, how is this working? Why who's pushing universal uh, digital IDs and why?
1: Well, first of all, an important thing to note is that none of this was hidden. Um, I didn't use any sources that I had to pry from resisting informants. Uh, this stuff was all published. You know, you can you can go out to the World Health Organization and you can download their documentation on it. You can go to GAVI, the Vaccine uh, Alliance that's been promoted by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and that the Gates have been very heavily involved in, and you can read their documentation. It's all public, uh, but no one noticed because these things take place at uh, a level where only a few people in the, you know, call it the elite if you want, or the deep state, the people who have these conferences internationally among these world bodies, uh, you know, they're talking about it openly amongst themselves, but the media doesn't report on it. No one notices in the U.S. No one notices in, in Europe, and they roll these things out in trial form form in places like India. Uh, and you know, we just don't get much reporting on what's happening in India here in the United States. So these things may come as a surprise to us here, but they're all out in the open. The planning is out there. So when you look at documents from 2010 that say, this is going to be the decade of the vaccine, the decade of vaccines. And as part of the decade of vaccines, we need to, you know meld that with ID. Uh, that's right out there in the documentation from the World Health Organization and from Gavi and the sources that I use that I cite in the article that it, uh, everyone can go look up. They're freely available on the Internet with in a click or two just by typing in the titles of what I reported on. What's
0: what's their purported purpose for this? Obviously, they're not going to tell you. It's it's to control and know everything you're doing, right? How, how are they selling it? and How is that going?
1: Yeah. Well, the idea is if you want to take it at face value, that we have a range of deadly, you know, viruses and pathogens that are out there that we can, in theory, vaccinate against, uh, in theory to stop a pandemic uh, that may crop up at some point. But if we're going to engage in a vaccine program, we need to be able to tell how many people we vaccinated and not revaccinate people we may have already vaccinated. So we need a record. And oh, by the way, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had digital IDs for everyone so everyone could prove who they are for secure transactions in the future with your upcoming digital currencies and whatnot. And, and since we're doing a database of vaccines and we're doing a database of IDs, well, you know, maybe it makes sense just to have that all centralized. And so uh, we can create just one database and we can just have one app and everything can be centrally controlled. And uh, I guess, you know, from one point of view, that sounds like uh, efficiency nirvana. If you are managing a population as if it were a computer program and a machine and you want to just have optimum control over that, uh, the fallacy of that is people are not a machine and society is not a machine to be controlled by a technocratic oligarchy. But that's, that's the direction we've been going in with this. Tell us about ID2020. Well, ID2020 wasn't uh, necessarily 100% focused on vaccines, but that's part of the early initiatives to develop a digital um, ID for the world's population. And so you you have these things happening in one track with ID2020 and and things like that taking place that have garnered the attention of certain NGOs and certain uh, world body governmental so-called organizations. Parallel to that, you had some of the same people who were backing that backing vaccine development and vac- backing vaccine tracking. And so it almost is inevitable since the same people were involved in both initiatives that they would get the bright idea that would be, well, why don't we just meld this together?
0: <laughs> is, is 2020, the, the numbers 2020, is that a coincidence or when did this start to
1: come about? Uh, you know, the earliest derivation of this that I found that was in any sense seemingly organized was 2010, which would, assume and and presume that the work on that began you know one to three years earlier maybe even a little bit earlier than that so you probably can assume that it's safe to say post 2005 we really started to see uh, the international uh, technocratic elite, again, for lack of a better word, working on this and putting it together. And we see publication in world body output and world body documents and reports. We see publication of some of these yeah. thoughts, schemes, and ideas and plans starting to appear in public, which, again, no one took notice of at the time. Uh, even in the ensuing 10 years, no one really took notice of. But they're out there. You can go read them.
0: Now, there's, there's the again, there's the number, the name of the, or the title of this, this program. Is it is it coincidence, or is the 2020 supposed to—I mean, are, would they be that bold? Is it kind of like a wink-wink? <laughs> you got to wonder. I don't—like, <laughs> what are the chances?
1: The chances seem odd that this would happen, and then, you, you know, you have Anthony Fauci at the beginning of uh, the Donald Trump administration saying, you know— I, you know, it's bound to happen that we're going to have an outbreak during the Trump administration, during this next administration. And you, and you see these things and you kind of raise your eyebrow and you're like, well, it's kind of curious, you know, in retrospect. <laughs> well, to be fair,
0: though, they have they've been saying this for a long, you know, yeah. for years and years, that there's bound to be, you know, some yeah. outbreak and, and you would need this. Uh, oh,
1: yeah. I mean, outbreaks happen. I mean, that's that's and they that's have. for sure. I mean, that's that's biology for you.
0: <laughs> now, in in your article, you mentioned uh, some of the players involved in this and i think most people i mean i've read it a couple of times and i still can't keep track of it it's like <laughs> you know it's like the back of a computer uh, one of those schemes like how or yeah. you know but anyway see, here's some of the people you mentioned and feel free to to kind of that maybe elaborate on some of them you got the bill and melinda gates foundation uh you have the Rockefeller foundation the microsoft court uh gabby the vi- uh the vaccine alliance which you mentioned george soros Anthony Lake and World Bank and of, and Fauci. You mentioned Fauci, of course, too. They're all in on this. On on somehow, yeah. you you want to kind of try your best to summarize.
1: That's that's a hard thing to summarize. It's a, it's a web of interlocking organizations and people who are behind those organizations who all seem to have an interest in both things. Uh, well, maybe three things if you want to broaden it a little bit. One. How do you control the population technocratically? What, what, what kind of control can you exert over a population? And this has been a trend. Um, you know, you've had, going back to the Obama administration, you've had uh, people writing about how do we nudge populations of people to take actions that we want them to take. Uh, so that's been an explicit part of, you know, the, the progressive uh, research agenda, if you want to call it that, into how to manipulate people into taking actions that, uh, you know, for about, again lack of better words, the regime may want you to take. Uh, so you have th- those the same people who are interested in that have been interested in vaccines. The same people who have been interested in the vaccines have been interested in identification, and so you know it's all the same groups. Uh, another organization I don't think you mentioned uh, that that's been involved is the Omen Yard Network, and again the Open Yard Network, uh, that's. Uh, That's an organization, an NGO, that explicitly says we need to uh, basically build back better and re-engineer capitalism. Uh, and I think that's a good entry point into understanding. This is not; a fr- these are not free market people, even though you might think of Bill Gates as an industrialist and mm-hmm. someone who benefited from being able to work within the free market and generate a product uh, with him and himself and his engineers and company to build a product that the world benefited from in the free market. Who himself is not really interested, it seems, in free market activity when it comes to uh, things like vaccines. He'd much rather, uh, it would seem, to offer some sort of control over this worldwide. Uh, and again, you, this. Runs through all of these programs and agencies and world bodies, uh, like the World Health Organization. This the same type of thing. And some of the people who've been involved. If you go back to 2010, and we take a look at uh, what the World Health Organization did in 2010, along with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, they put together the Global Vaccine Action Plan. This dates back again to 2010. You can go out and you can look it up and read the document. It's fairly long. Uh, It had a leadership council. Some people What's on that, that leadership. What's again? It's the Global Vaccine Action Plan from the World Health Organization, okay. 2010. And that followed a, a call in January of 2010 by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to make the next 10 years the decade of vaccines. So the leadership council of the initiative from the uh, Global Vaccine Action Plan included people like Margaret Chan, who was at the time Director General of the World Health Organization. Uh, this next name everyone's going to be very familiar with. Anthony Fauci, who was and remains the director of the NIAID, part of the National Institutes of Health, and of course, everyone knows now the role Dr. Fauci has played in the pandemic uh, rollout of various public health policies. Anthony Lake, who was then the executive director of UNICEF, Anthony Lake People may not be familiar with that name now, but they would have been familiar with that name back during the Bill Clinton administration. Um, He was the national security advisor to Bill Clinton. He had been nominated by the Clinton administration by President Bill Clinton to become the head head of the CIA. But what is very interesting about Anthony Lake and raised a lot of eyebrows, and I think probably torpedoed that nomination, was at the time, uh, he could not answer whether or not Elger Hiss was a Soviet spy. And Elger Hiss was... Uh, it was a Soviet spy, <laughs> and everyone knew that. He was convicted that. by that, right? He was, yeah. He, well, he, was, he wasn't actually convicted of being a Soviet spy, but he, I believe he was convicted for lying about it. Uh, so, But everyone knows L- Alger Hiss was a Soviet spy. This is common knowledge, and so it was really... Striking when Anthony Lake couldn't give an answer about that. And so that, I think, is what torpedoed his nomination to be head of CIA. But Margaret Chan, let's talk about her a little bit. Um, She is the longtime former leader of the World Health Organization. She once served as director of public health for the city of Hong Kong. Um, During that time was when the SARS outbreak, the first SARS outbreak, took place, and 299 people died in the city of Hong Kong. And um, she was at the time universally unanimously condemned um, by the Legislative Council of Hong Kong for her handling of that. and they they described it as dereliction of duty before during uh, before and during the early stage of the SARS outbreak, um, according to one public organization in Hong Kong at the time. So you know she then you know was playing a sig- significant role in the rollout of the World Health Organization's vaccine action plan. So, you know, you really do have a whole group of people who have a long history of involvement in public health policy with questionable outcomes and with questionable motivations. Um, I should I should go back to, to Chan just a little bit more. There's one other element of this that ties things together in kind of a, a way that signifies, I think, where we're going. Chan was part of the Council of Advisors for the China-based globalist organization, Forum for Asia, which is run by the former U.N. Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, uh, along with uh, the former governor of the People's Bank of China. Um, and that is the Communist China's answer for our Federal Reserve, basically, it's the same type of organization there. And they held uh, an annual conference in June 2019. And one of its goals was to advance the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, and very importantly, among a broad menu of other things, and this is what I wrote uh, when I wrote the article several months ago, that UN program promises by the year 2030 to provide legal identity for all, including birth registration. So that would be a worldwide mm-hmm. uh, identity program orchestrated by uh, you know, a supranational body. So we're not talking about something run for the United States by the United States or run for the UK by the UK, but we're talking about a goal here to have an internationalist. Uh, complete uh, you know, coverage of the world, inter- internationalist-run ID uh, under the rubric of the United Nations.
0: So this comes back, or down to, Agenda 2030. This comes
1: down to Agenda 2030.
0: Okay, can you briefly explain what Agenda 2030 is?
1: Agenda 2030 is a very broad-based plan at the United Nations level for reordering and controlling uh, all fundamental aspects of global culture and society and economic activity. Much of it's related to the idea of climate change and fighting climate change and uh, you know, taking actions that restrict uh, freedom of activity economically uh, in order to reach that goal.
0: So I can't imagine most people would be okay with this, but how are they getting away with it? Why, why aren't they reporting? Why isn't this more known? Are we the only ones? I can't, I'm, well, us and Alex Jones apparently. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think it's because m- many Americans are well, have always been busy with their day-to-day lives. I mean, you have to go to work and earn a living. You have to take care of your kids. And, of course, you want to take care of your kids. And your kids have all kinds of things going on, whether it's school activities or if you're homeschooling. And your job is probably all-consuming, and our economy makes it almost impossible now for both uh, both. Both adults in a family not to have to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so both adults are, are working and then you're by the end of the day you're exhausted and you're not being given really great information by the mainstream media that's very selective what they report on. So people are just not exposed to this information. That's my opinion. I think that the, the exposure to this information about what's actually being yeah. done uh, at an international level in, in these conferences is just not reported. So people have no idea. So when they're confronted with it for the first time Well, it sounds like it's coming out of left field. It sounds absolutely crazy. How could this be? Uh, And I actually said that. I said in the article, you know, right at the beginning, I said, this (laughs) is going to sound crazy, but here it is. This is what's happening.
0: If you haven't been exposed to this, it sounds so crazy in a way. Obviously you don't want it to be true either. It sounds like a freaking movie or something, you know? Are we that convinced that this is what's happening?
1: Uh, I don't see that there's any reason why anyone would be convinced that it's not happening. Uh, in fact, we already have much of the system in place. And I'm going to compare this to what's in China, the social the social credit system of China. I think that's gotten a little bit of press because it's... Uh, Further advanced and more upfront and in your face than what we're doing here in the, in the United States and most of the Western world, but in China, they're they're currently rolling out and implementing, and I think it'll be 100% implemented implemented by the end of this year in China. The they're very far-reaching social credit system which is going to score every person on whether or not they adhere to the Communist Party's definition of good citizenship. And if you adhere to that, you'll have a good social credit score and you'll have access to preferential loans, preferential housing, driving privileges, shopping privileges, all the things that you would want to have a comfortable life. But if you said something that was crass or rude, or you walked across the street against the signal, or you did any number, a large number of- uh, Or you talk bad about the party? Talk bad, well, that would be one that you don't want to do for sure, I would think. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to see your social credit score get much lower to the point where you may not have access to uh, well, you might, you would lose access to luxuries. You may yeah. not have access to the foods you want to buy. You won't be able to travel. You won't be able to get consumer credit. Uh, you won't be able to buy, you know, services that you may need. Uh, you may not even be able to get... Get gainful employment. You may become uh, completely uh, excised from society. Now, that's the one that everyone I think probably knows exists. There's been some reporting on this in the mainstream media. You can go out and you can watch yeah. interviews with the average Chinese citizen talking about how this impacts them. Uh, you know, most of what you'll find is uh, Chinese citizens talking about how wonderful they think it is because, well, of course they are. Well, they wouldn't dare say anything against it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this
2: reminds me. It
0: sounds a little bit like obviously we're not there, but it sounds a little bit like like what's developing here, especially like if you have traditional uh, values, we are now seeing America develop into this society, uh, you know, during the, the, the Black Lives Matter, the Marxist revolts, people would get fired for saying, hey, these guys are not what they say. This is a Marxist organization with with, with ill intent. And you know, you'd see that police chiefs would get fired or whatnot. Uh, and then of course, uh, long ago, it's already begun, where for instance, if you have traditional values on homosexuality, or 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 the family. And and now, of course, they're really trying to push that against people who who say the truth about genders. I mean, it doesn't sound like we're that far off. Well,
1: we're not there because unlike in China's social credit system, we don't have one unified system in place yet. However, what becomes alarming is when you step back and think about how your activities in the United States are collected and noted in databases right now and there's many different databases but it can be as uh, simple as when you go to the grocery store and you buy you know your groceries for the week and you hand them your shopping card Uh, what you're doing is yes you're maybe getting a sale that then is tied to the items that are on your card for that sales flyer that you looked at at the grocery store but that database now contains what you purchased Okay, So that's now not just at grocery stores, but now every kind of retail establishment has something like that, especially if they're a big box. Mm-hmm. Most of them have something like that. So now you have all that shopping data. You combine that with all of your Amazon data. Combine that with all of your Facebook data, your, your opinions. Combine that with what you've posted on LinkedIn about your job. Um, and. Combine that with all the sensor data based on where you've been going that's uh, being tracked on your cell phone and your locations on your cell phone. We have a disparate number of databases that contain basically an imprint of every single thing you do in your life, which makes it very easy to understand where your positions might be, where your opinions might be. And all that remains is for that to be unified. Now imagine that unified under a single health and digital ID, where all of that information was accessible to anyone who has access to that, which, of course, would be uh, an international body or a world government or the United States government. But, you know, really the goal is to move this internationally. Uh, So now you would have built, essentially, the social credit system. So all of the elements of the social credit system, while not explicitly identified as such, what we need to be concerned about is we've allowed the, the construction of all the elements, all the bricks in the wall that would make that be possible in the West.
0: Is a digital ID that ultimately leads to this one world government body system, is it inevitable?
1: Absolutely not inevitable. Here's, here's... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Got some good news here. Let's hear it. Here's some good news. Uh, Go back to your constitution, uh, America. That's one of the reasons why the Constitution is always under attack uh, by progressives who don't like the Bill of Rights uh, in various uh, aspects because it is the single best impediment uh, that the world has to a global implementation of these types of systems of control. Uh, That's why the United States government's organizational structure under the Constitution is always, always, always attacked. So if you want to uh, make sure that we do not have to fall under some sort of system of social credit control like China uh, is is, is implementing, all we have to do is make sure that we keep the Constitution respected and do not allow the administrative state to subsume that Constitution, bury it, make it obsolete, and put into place their technocratic oligarchy. Um, The checks and balances that are built into the Constitution by the founding fathers make it impossible for very, very, well, not impossible, but very, very difficult for uh, terrible legislation to be written into law if it's followed. And, of course, we've seen plenty of terrible legislation written into law, but the Constitution allows that legislation to be overturned uh, by further legislation. As long as we don't lose the Constitution, there's always... A chance for improvement, uh, then there's always a chance to prevent these things from uh, being imp- implemented in the first place. So when you see organizations come out and say something like, well, we need a we need to have a new constitutional convention, a convention of the states, yeah. to rewrite the Constitution because we need term limits or whatever. whatever balance the budget. Yeah, whatever. Balance. Whatever the, whatever cause yeah. they want to do. You, you're really monkeying with the fundamental legal structure of the con- country that protects us from implementation of a wide, wide range of really terrible ideas.
0: Well, that's another example yeah. of, of someone or an organization
1: exploiting. real concerns.
0: People are so concerned now. They do want to rein in the government and someone comes along and he says, what we need to do is open the keys to the Constitution, insert a couple more amendments, Forgetting that they're not even following what's already written there, that's how they get away with all a, a with lot that. of the stuff. Is they exploit uh, you know real anxieties or concerns. You know, with in this case they're going to be appealing to people's desire for for
1: safety and yeah. health and 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 whatnot. Well, those who would trade a uh, you know essential liberty for the. Facade of safety deserve neither. Of them. <laughs> was, was that Ben Franklin? Who was it? That's a great quote, you know. But the here, here's the thing that those people who want to pursue some of these alternative uh, solutions to the problems of government uh, are are missing, and that is that we have to elect representatives to the mm-hmm. House of Representatives every two years. That means that body is extremely responsive to public opinion. You know, your representative needs to be, you know, put back in their job if they want to keep their job every two years. So if they're not doing the right thing, they can be thrown out. Yeah. by the electorate. And so that's where that's where we really have to make sure that good citizenship is used and make sure that if our representatives in the House of Representatives are not properly advancing legislation, they're spending too much money, they're giving assent to bills that are 800 pages long that they've never read and they have to read it to yeah. see what's in it after it's been passed. These are... These are things that the electorate can easily fix by throwing these people out and electing good constitutional representatives. Then the problems are almost instantly solved. So it's civic engagement uh, with the House of Representatives specifically where we really have to start on the federal level to keep control of our government. And Again, throughout the Constitution, that goes away.
0: Now, speaking of, it's one of the things that we provide here at the Birch Society, and I believe um, you, of all people, can tell us the new Freedom Index is coming
1: out, right? New Freedom Index, is just, yeah, it's gone to the printer, so <laughs> something to look forward to. It's going to be. tell, tell people how they can use the Freedom Index. There, here it is. You know, you don't know what, if you don't know how your representative has been voting, and it's hard sometimes to find time to go out to. You know the U.S. government websites for Congress and track all of that stuff down. We did that work for you. Yeah. We do that work for you with the Freedom Index every time we put one out, which is a regular part of the New American Magazine. So it's a one stop shop for you to take a look at a selection of votes that we've selected where we can tell you based on how every representative of Congress voted and every senator in Congress voted, did they vote uh, in accordance with constitutional principles or did they not? And then over the course of that uh, number of votes, we can give you a score and we can say where on a s- scale of zero to 100, do these people fall? And with just a glance, you can look and see if your representative was constitutional or was not constitutional in a, in a representative sample of their voting during their time in office. And if they're not constitutional, there's your opportunity to uh, write yeah. write a scathing letter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get in contact. Or, you know, start organizing support for an alternative uh, representative to yeah. go to represent your district in Congress. Here at the John Birch Society, we obviously
0: realize, as you had stated earlier, is that People are incredibly, incredibly busy. And the reason that we are where we are is, I mean, things are so convoluted. You mentioned 800 uh, page bills. This is normal. This is normal, I remember seeing uh, Rand Paul, and he was stumping in Montana at one point, and he was talking about uh, the size of these bills. He was talking about other things, including how this bureaucracies are implementing laws when they shouldn't be. Anyway, a lot of things happening. bottom line is it's, like, it's hard to keep up with that. In a sense, that's what we do as well. Yeah. Not that you shouldn't be engaged, but we're gonna go into a shameless plug and, and, and talk about the fact that what we do here, the John Birch Society, is keep up with what's happening and then we we filter that to you, whether it be through legislative alerts, the freedom index, and then of course there are action projects. Uh, we have quite a few of them. I believe we have somewhere between 13 and 14. A lot of them are focused on preventing one world government that this is a real thing as crazy as it sounds this is a real thing uh, we've we've written books uh, we've written articles we've presented videos with well quotes and taking some of their own words saying this is what they want there is a deep state they've been called the insiders the conspiracy whatnot we've been writing about them we've been telling you who they are and th- th- we've been telling you their goals and, and I think it's become very very apparent there's no way it's not happening one of the main focuses of our action projects are to prevent that we have for instance get us out of the united nations probably one of our oldest action projects what other what other action projects do we have there dennis
1: uh so we have save our children restore election integrity that's really important right now countering COVID 19 overreach yes Uh, stop a constitutional convention which you know you mentioned we, we, we talked about that stop the globalist trade agenda support your local police which in light of things that have happened in the past two years uh, is one of the most important things for people to work on. Uh, get us out of the UN, get us out of the USMCA. Uh, Article 6, not 5, stop the North American Union, mass migration, end the Fed, incredibly yeah. important, and uh, the aforementioned stop Agenda 21-2030. Yeah. You know, if you if we succeed on a selection of these, much less all of them, We have gone a long way back to resetting the country on its constitutional foundations and we'll be in great great shape moving forward. You know, and one of the things I want to mention, too, the conceit that the globalists have is that um, people are bad. They believe people are bad. They believe people are bad for the climate. They believe people are bad for the planet. They believe the planet cannot support the population. Uh, They have a doom and gloom outlook, and that's what motivates a lot of what they're doing. Um, By contrast... Yeah. The John Birch Society, I think I, I think it's fair to say. The New American, I can definitely say for sure. Um, the freedom movement in general is very optimistic. We love people as an indiv- as individuals. We think people are amazingly creative, amazingly intelligent, amazing uh, individuals in, in every aspect. More people mean more solutions to more problems, especially within the free market. And we know this for a fact. It's not even conjectural. We can look at, since the time of the Industrial Revolution, we can look at all the innovation that has happened. People don't starve to death anymore like they used to because of mm. famines. People don't die from disease any longer like they used to because of innovation in health care and in, in cleanliness and in, in, in food availability. Uh, we can talk about all kinds of technological innovation that's happened because free people have been free to innovate. We haven't only scratched the surface of what people can do.
0: A lot of people have been convinced it's become more common. It used to be like just total fringe lunatics and whatnot who would say things like you know don't have kids because you know pe- uh, humanity is a disease and whatnot. And it seems that it's becoming more prevalent that kind of thinking. And it, it saddens me because people are wonderful. You know, uh, if you be- believe in the ultimate creator, then you believe that he made us, uh, you know, in his image. And then you've mentioned the examples where we've only gotten better. Yeah. So I guess we'll we'll wrap it up here. Did you want to add anything else?
1: Well, I think one of the key things is that uh, keep in mind that um, if you look around the world at all the different types of governments that are out there, uh, the one that we have in the United States is unique. Uh, You know, you look at Canada or you look at the U.K., you pick a European country or an Asian country, um, almost uniformly none of them have a Bill of Rights, none of them have separation of powers to the same degree that we have here in the United States. And a key differentiating factor is that in our Bill of Rights we have government may not infringe upon the rights of this, that, or the next thing, and it doesn't include any follow-on clause that says they may do so, however, in certain cases when bad things happen. Everywhere else where rights are enumerated, uh, at the end of that, any given right, it says, well, except in such cases where the government thinks maybe it would be a good yeah. idea to infringe on those rights.
0: We have a lot of shall nots.
1: <laughs> yes, and they're, bla- they're, they're, they're pretty clear. You're not going to do it, period. Yeah. <laughs> now, if that goes away, then nowhere else in the world is freedom going to be preserved. So it's hard work. We've talked about how everyone's busy. Yeah. Saving, saving freedom in the United States is hard work. The Founding Fathers warned that it was going to be hard work. It was hard work then. It's even harder work now. Yeah. But what could be more important? Nothing. No. Nothing no. for you, for your children. Um, nothing's more important than doing the hard work of preserving our republic and the ideas of limited government and human freedom. Most important thing in the world that we can do.
0: I think we lose track of the fact that for, for most of history, at least known history, people's have been ruined by uh, have been ruled by tyranny it really absolutely for, uh, not too long ago half a century ago the entire world was half the world was submerged in yeah. in communist tyranny
1: yeah, as you well know <laughs> i was born there yeah
0: yeah <laughs> So there, there's lots of ways to get involved, but but the way that we advocate the most is obviously through the John Birch Society. We have mentioned action projects, uh, membership. We encourage listeners who have not applied for membership to apply, to get involved. You get to get plugged in, and, and we have chapters from coast to coast. You get plugged in, you have an agenda. With, we have a, a bulletin with an agenda of, of action items that you can get involved. Of course, we have all sorts of ways to keep you informed on what's going on. So anyway... Uh, Thanks, Dennis. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for writing this article. And uh, we got lots of good stuff in The New American, so everyone listening, if you haven't already, go to thenewamerican.com. If you haven't subscribed to receive the magazine, make sure to do that. And if you have any questions about the, the John Burr Society, you can go to jbs.org. Uh, we have an About tab. Uh, we have lots of information about these action projects, uh, and we provide all sorts of ways to get in contact, If you, whether through email or give us a call find out more and see how you can get involved.
2: Are you concerned with where America is headed? If not, you should be. So let's get busy on solutions. At the John Birch Society, our staff and members have over 60 years of experience in pushing back on outrageous abuses of government. Our tools are truth and education. Our methods are tried and true with scores of successful operations join together with the tens of thousands of members of the John Birch Society nationwide to make a difference. We have professional staff strategically placed all over the nation, and will provide the training you need to be a success. We will provide the materials you need to be a success. We will provide the esprit de corps that comes with working in concert with tens of thousands of members nationwide on the same goals. If you want a bellyache and do nothing, Don't join because we don't want you. But if you're a patriot and you love our country and want to preserve the blessings of liberty to the next generation, then we need you in the fight today. Not soon, today. Let me clarify, today. Go to JBS.org and get involved right now. And remember, the Constitution is the solution.